Well, like my wife said, my name is Gino Allison. I'm one of the pastors here. And I just want to welcome you all to the South Suburban Vineyard Church. Um, special welcome to anybody who is with us for the first time or who hasn't been here in a while. But also welcome to anybody who's listening to us uh, through our website or through iTunes, through our podcast. You also are welcome to come and worship with us here on Sunday morning as well. Some of you know this, uh, some of you don't, but now I, uh, I am on Twitter. I don't know if it's Twitter or the Twitter, whatever. I'm on Twitter right now. And for those of you who want to get my wise sayings throughout the week, on your mobile phone maybe, you can follow me on Twitter. And I've been on Twitter for about a week, and people are sort of ridiculing me for taking so long to get involved in social media. But I actually like, uh, I actually like Twitter. I like to uh, follow uh, certain people and hear what they have to say. I don't like the silly ones, like just people letting you know that they're eating strawberries right now, you know. I don't like those tweets. But I like the very wise tweets where I follow a lot of pastors and they have a lot of interesting things to say. Uh, this week, I was um, checking um, the, the Twitter updates, and I found this fantastic quote. Um, and b- because I'm thinking in terms of family and relationships and, and parenting and things like this, this particular quote stood out to me, especially because I'm a pastor. This guy writes, in ministry, you are going to disappoint people. I find that that's incredibly true. He, he continues, try not to let it be your kids. He says, in ministry, you're going to disappoint a lot of people. A lot of people are going to be mad at you. You're going to fall so drastically short of their expectations. You're going to disappoint a lot of people. But he said, try not to let those people that fall in that group of people who you will disappoint, try not to let it be your children. And I thought, man, I need to print this out on something very large and put it, prominently display this on every single, you know, place where I'm at for any extended period of time, because I think this is so important for me to remember, especially somebody who is trying to start a church and, you know, grow something from nothing, who's devoted to Christ and devoted to his church and devoted to seeing people grow in the faith. I am just so interested in not disappointing my children. I don't mean disappointing them in the sense, well, I didn't give them, you know, enough pieces of candy or I didn't, you know, get them enough freezy pops or something like that. I mean the deep disappointment where I fail them at my basic job, which is to raise them in the ways of the Lord and to show them where the boundaries and the edges of life are and to be a model and help walk through life. I desperately am disinterested in disappointing them in that way. As I, as I read that tweet and I began to reflect on not just this message, but reflect on my life growing up, I thought to myself, I wonder how my boys will see me when they grow up. How will they look back on how I interacted with them? How will they look back on how I raised them and how I groomed them for adulthood? How will they look back on that with the clar- when they have the clarity of vision of, that maturity offers, when they have the clarity of vision that hindsight provides, when they're old enough to see life for what it truly is, when they sort of move out of that phase of life? You know, kids see their parents as invincible. I saw my dad as invincible, you know, in a manner of speaking. My father walked on water in my eyes. It wasn't any question that he could beat up any dude that he wanted to beat up. He was just larger than life to me, and he wasn't ever wrong. He was always wise. He had an answer for any question that I could ever imagine, and there was this sort of glowing sort of respect and reverence that I had for him. I thought that he knew everything. He certainly knew everything I asked him. But what happens as you grow up and as you experience life, as you become older, become wiser, you, you gain more sources of information than your immediate parents and your immediate circle of family, you start to see that parents aren't quite as invincible. They don't know everything. You begin to see their flaws. You begin to see their issues and and their dysfunctions. But even though I was able to see that, especially in my adult life, and my father and I had drastically different philosophies of how to do certain aspects of life, my overall picture of my father is still that he was an absolutely fantastic uh, father that few people could even hold a candle to. And same with my mother. I still walked away from, even knowing his weaknesses, even seeing his frailties, uh, I still walked away from that exchange really feeling blessed that he was a great father, that my mother was a great mother. And I often wonder how my boys will view me when they get to that stage of life where they're old enough 
to reflect back with some degree of intelligence, some degree of uh, sort of pinpoint who I was as a father. It deeply concerns me that their opinion of me is favorable. It deeply concerns me. I'm deeply concerned with how they view me uh, as they get older. And the awareness that my boys will someday be able to see me for who I truly am, not that I'm posing for them in any way, but they will be, be, be able to see me for who I am, it, it creates an awareness in me that drives me in a very specific way. And if I was just honest uh, with you this morning, I have to be careful of that because I could make that an idol. I mean, my personality can make that an idol, but I need to sort of balance and have a healthy awareness that one day my boys are going to see me for who I truly am. I want to be a great parent to them. I want to be an outstanding parent to my children. For those of you who've been tracking with us for the last few weeks, you know that we're in the midst of a series that we've been calling Marriage Relationships in the family. And we've been dealing with marriage relationships in the family because we've been saying that it's absolutely central to who, how the world is, how the world works. Marriage relationships in the family are essentially the foundation of who we are. We get everything that we are. We develop our personalities, our worldviews from our family lives. And it's important for us to focus on these aspects of life in order to figure out who we're supposed to be and how we're supposed to operate within those family, marriage, and relationship structures. We talked about marriage, we talked about relationships, we family, raising kids, healthy singleness. We talked about a wide range of things because we believe that it's vitally important. And we said week after week that the goal of this series was not to give you instruments or give you information so you can fix somebody else and work on somebody else. The goal of this whole series is to give you tools, tools, equipment to work on you, to work on you. And from where I stand, the series has been very helpful and been very comprehensive. And I think it's very important that we continue this series by talking about a very important aspect of marriage, families, and relationships, and that is parenting. That is parenting. Now, we're Christians. We're a Christian church. So we focus that a little bit, and we say Christian parenting. Christian parenting. Christian parenting, and I've said week after week that whenever you add Christian to something, it ought to be an absolute game changer. It ought to be an absolute game changer. I I say over and over and over again that Christians ought to have the best lives. Christians ought to have the best stuff, and by stuff, I don't mean trappings of this life. I mean the best relationships. They ought to raise the most fruitful children, the most well-behaved children, fantastic products uh, of, of growing up in a Christian home. Christians ought to change the game in significant ways. And I think everything in life that we do is significant, especially our relationships, especially raising our children. The sad part about it is that it's so easy to get it wrong. It's so easy to get it wrong. If you've been parenting for more than a day or so, you know that it's so easy to get it wrong. If you've been parented, and we all have, you know how easy it is to get it wrong and how drastically it messes things up when parenting is done wrong. But it's so beautiful, it's so sweet, it's so healthy, it's so life-giving, it's so productive when when it's done right. So I want to talk about what it means to be a good, godly parent. I've called this talk this morning, How Not to Mess Up Your Kids. How Not to Mess Up Your Kids how not to mess up your kids because it's so incredibly easy. You know what's striking is that when I look at uh, Jesus, I see a fantastic parent in Jesus. I don't know if you've ever noticed that. I, thought, I think Jesus would have been a fantastic parent. And actually, I get a lot of parenting wisdom from Jesus. Now, some of you may say, well, that's kind of strange because Jesus didn't have any kids. And you, that's, that's correct. But what, 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 what makes Jesus stand out is that Jesus was an outstanding, an outstanding disciple maker. He was an ap- outstanding disciple maker. And I don't know if you know this, but that's all that parenting is. That's all parenting is. It's making disciples. It's making disciples. It's walking alongside of your children, the way Jesus walked alongside of his people, and it's making disciples. So when I look at the life of Jesus, I see a lot of parenting wisdom. When I look at the characteristics and the qualities that Jesus had, I see fantastic parenting 
characteristics. So I just want to kind of work uh, uh, with this subject along that framework this morning. I'm talking about how to not mess up our kids, how to raise godly kids, productive kids, kids that turn out well. And before I do that, I'm going to pray because I know this is a delicate subject. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you so much for your truth. I thank you so much, Lord, that you don't leave us flailing about just trying to figure out what to do. You don't leave us to just try to hunt this information down in any sort of books and follow different authors. Lord, you give us explicitly in your word the truth as to how we're supposed to proceed. I thank you for the example that you give us in Christ. Lord, I pray that you would put power on these words that you've given me to speak this morning. May they glorify you. Move me out of the way this morning, Lord, so that the truth and light may shine through. Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we're talking about how not to mess up your kids. In other words, we're, we're trying to get you on the, on the right track. We're trying to help you work on you. And I think the square, first step in raising godly kids and putting them on the right track uh, to be used by God and to have healthy and productive lives is to um, give yourself wholly to Christ. You, parent, you who are the steward of that child, you must first give yourself wholly to Christ. Now, you might be noticing a pattern. In each of, these, each of these sermons, each of these installments, as we're talking about an aspect of relationship, square one has usually been something like be filled with the Spirit or be a Christian for real or devote yourself to Jesus for real. It's surprisingly uh, uh, true that the first step in being anything, doing anything well as it relates to the kingdom of God, doing anything well according to the, the perspective of the creator, is to first lean in to Christ. This is absolutely square one. I see people raising children, and I see people that are about to have children, and sometimes, if I'm honest, I just look at that family, and I just reflect. I go, man, that kid doesn't stand a chance. That kid doesn't stand a chance. In the state that that parent's in, the way they outlook on life, the way they look at the kingdom, man, I'm so sad for that kid. That kid doesn't stand a chance apart from Jesus. He doesn't stand a chance. And usually when I'm observing this, I'm observing parents who haven't decided in their mind yet that they're going to pursue Jesus and live this thing out the way it's supposed to be lived. Usually when I'm observing this, usually when I'm lamenting, usually when I'm going, oh my goodness, this kid doesn't stand a chance, I'm usually observing people who think that they can just take a little bit of Jesus. They can take a little bit of church. They can highlight some really cool things that Jesus said. They can just wear the shirt or have the bumper sticker and not truly, faithfully, holistically pursue Jesus and give him every single thing that they have. It simply doesn't work any other way. And square one, as we work really hard not to mess up our children, is to give ourselves wholly to Christ. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, Paul says, and so dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you. Paul says, I beg you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. And somebody said, what on earth does that have to do with being a parent? What on earth does that have to do with raising kids? We have to understand, if we're going to raise godly kids, if we're going to be Christian parents, then we first have to be Christians. If we're going to be Christian parents, then we first got to work on that Christian part. We got to work on that loving Jesus part, that being transformed part, that leaning into Jesus and handing him your life and saying, Lord, do with me what you will. Paul puts it clearly. He says, submit your bodies. He continues to say, let God transform you by changing the way you think. So Paul is talking about giving God your body. He's talking about giving God your mind and everything in between your body and your mind, changing the way you think about stuff. Because I mean, you know, you're going to reproduce who you are. You reproduce who you are. When I look at myself in the proverbial mirror, I, I'm just dripping with characteristics and qualities from my mother and father. I'm just dripping with them. The good, the bad, 
and especially the ugly. I'm dripping with them. So what they had, they deposited in me. And what Paul is saying to us is that if you want, listen, if you want your kids to be Christian kids, to be godly kids, if you want to reproduce a godly model, you yourself have to be committed. You yourself have to be a true Christian at heart. You yourself have to submit your body to Christ. You yourself have to be transformed by letting God change the way you think so you can parent from that model. Now, I'm not sure that Paul had parenting in mind when he wrote this, but I'm sure he had in mind being a true Christian, being a true believer in Christ. And I will venture to say that you cannot properly form a child, as a properly form a child, in a way that is acceptable to the creator unless you yourself have been transformed. I'll say it again. You cannot properly form a child in a way that is acceptable to the creator without you yourself being transformed or significantly putting yourself on the road to transformation, it won't happen. It won't happen. And this is sobering news for some of you parents, particularly you freelance ones who sort of want to go at it halfway or go at it alone or take your Jesus a la carte or sort of just do a little bit of this and a little bit of that. That's fine if you don't want to raise godly kids. That's fine if you don't mind sort of messing your children up. That's fine if you don't mind loading them with all sorts of mixed messages, uh, completely distorting their value of what Christ means and how serious it is. If you don't mind that, then go your way. But if you want to do this right, if you want to limit the damage that you do to your children, if you want to limit the confusion, if you want to seal up some of the cavities, some of the crevices that Satan will creep in and destroy them, you want to do this thing the right way. You want to give your body, you want to give your mind, you want to be transformed by the gospel. You want to be transformed by Jesus. Because like I said earlier, you will reproduce who you are. And what Jesus does is he minimizes that bad and ugly stuff that you're going to forward into your children. I said you're going to reproduce good, bad, and ugly. But what Jesus does, what the kingdom does when it breaks into your life, is it minimizes, it neutralizes that bad. It neutralizes that ugly. Some of it will make, make its way through because we're fallen, sinful human beings. But I tell you, I need the Lord Jesus Christ to transform my way of thinking so that I don't uh, corrupt my boys, so that I don't reproduce something that's not worth being reproduced. So that some of the bad and some of the ugly cannot be passed along to them. I'm very aware of that. And the only way I can do that, friends, is to submit myself, to give myself wholly, wholly, wholly to God. Wholly to God. Now, I'm not trivializing it. I know that's one of the most difficult things you will ever endeavor to do in life. Absolutely difficult. And I would challenge you, parents, to look, look at yourself in the proverbial mirror and ask yourself, if, the, if my kids had the same degree of dedication to the faith and to Jesus and to the things of the kingdom, would that be okay? If they just copied me in my present form, if they took God as seriously as I took him, if they were as serious about my uh, uh, God and the faith as I was, would that be an acceptable measure? And many of us, would answer no. Many of us would hang our heads in shame as we reflect on how seriously we take the kingdom stuff. You want to know square one to raising godly kids, raising productive kids that will go far in life and that will honor you and honor the Lord? You start with square one. Give yourself wholly to Christ. I think another important thing is that you love them unconditionally. You love them unconditionally. A few weeks ago when David Jacob preached, he gave a fantastic definition of love, and he cited this. Love is a willful decision to put the best interest of the object of your love uh, over your own. I read that again. He says, love is a willful decision to put the best interest of the object of your love over your own. In other words, the love that we're talking about here is this constant decreasing so that someone else mainly the object of your love can increase. Right? 
the perpetual pushing them forward, we're, uh, 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 sort of operating and acting on their best, in, in, according to their best interests. It's, it's, it's that act in the most profound way. And when we add unconditional to that word, we mean do that over and over and over, no matter what. Do that over and over and over, no matter what. And when I look at the example that the perfect disciple maker gives, I see that over and over and over and over. Don't have time to read all the scriptures that uh, refer to this, but Jesus, when he was misunderstood, Jesus is one of the most misunderstood people that I've ever known in life. But he loved people, and he was there for them regardless. He was betrayed by those that was closest to him, deserted by his own, deserted by these guys that he poured into, that he gave himself for, deserted, misunderstood, but yet Jesus poured himself. He always kept showing up, always kept loving them. He was patient with his knuckle-headed disciples. He forgave them over and over and over, and even unto death and suffering, he still loved them. He still loved them. Now, that's a wide range of things to work through and love people through. You know what? Jesus requires us to do the same. I love one of, my, one of my favorite passages of Scripture, John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35. Jesus says, so now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Now, typically we look at this in a sort of brotherly love sort of sense. We look at it as, oh, we should love our neighbor, but we need not include our own children in this whole framework. And if we look at this with clear eyes, if we look at this in the context of what we're talking about today, what Jesus is saying is, listen, love your kids the way I loved you. Love your children the way I loved you. Regardless of how they turn out, regardless of how they disappoint you, regardless how selfish and ungrateful they could be, love them the way I loved you because that's the way I treat you. Unconditional love. There's nothing more shallow than conditional love. There's nothing more paper thin and dissatisfying than conditional love. And I don't think conditional love is even a combination of words that work, work together. I don't think it's love, truly, if it's conditional. Nothing more meaningless and worthy of being thrown in the trash than something, a love you have to earn, especially in a Christian context, especially as it relates to the children that God has given us to love as he's loved us. To love as he's loved us. Jesus says, I give you a new commandment. Love each other as I've loved you. Because we get this confused. He needs to help straighten us out on this. Because we want to love how we've been loved. We want to pay for that same uh, dysfunctional, the same confusing, disorienting uh, package of love that our uh, loving but dysfunctional parents handed us. You know how that made you feel, that your father never told you he loved you. You know how you always were left wondering if he truly cared about you. You know how empty you felt. But guess what? You're going to do that same thing to your boy. You know the manipulative ways that you use to sort of gain your children's sort of support or gain their compliance. Or You know that stuff did a number on you. You know you haven't even got over that today. But yet, you want to, you want to still pay that forward because that's what you saw. You know the constant yelling. And the constant scowl and this constant sort of aura of disapproval that your, that your old man used with you or that your mother used with you. You know you felt that. You know you hated that. You absolutely hated that. It's messed you up. But somehow you think that that's what you should pay for in your own house with your own children. Jesus says it has to be different. It has to be different. Don't use the models you've seen. Don't use the models you've seen. Don't go by what's been done to you. Don't do what's easy. Don't let your defaults just sort of carry you through life, leaving pain and broken relationships in the wake. Jesus says, do what I do. You want to get it right? You want to get it right? Do what I did. Love unconditionally. You say, okay, pastor, I'm going to love unconditionally. In my heart, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. 
But there's, a, there's, a, there's, 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 there's something more in the detergent that love is transmitted through actions. Let me say that again. Love is transmitted through actions. You can love deeply in your heart. If you don't show it, it means nothing. It's like me saying to you, listen, you, you know I love you. You know I love you. Despite my actions. Despite me slashing your tires and telling lies about you all around town or having you scowl on my face every time you say, listen, you know I love you. I just, listen, that's just the way I show it. You know, I'm not mushy like that. That's like me saying, listen, you know I have $12.35 in my pocket. You know that. You're like, I don't know what you have in your pocket. Unless you pull it out and show me, you know, the, the, the coins and the dollar bills, and you just don't know what's in my pocket. The same is true with love. We talk about love unconditionally. Love is a matter of the heart. But listen, love is transmitted through your actions. You fail to show love, you fail to love. You fail to show love, you fail to love. Love is an action word. Love is a verb. And Jesus shows us over and over and over and over. He walks to talk that he loves us. Though we betray him, he loves us. Though we walk away from him, he loves us. Though we misuse his name and give him a bad reputation through our actions, he loves us over and over and over. And every season and every turn in life, he loves us unconditionally, and we know it through his actions. I was reading a book that I think uh, Dan and Desiree gave me. It's called The Five Love Languages, I think, of Children. And in that book, Dr. Uh, Gary Chapman was talking about how a child really is only focused on their own love bank. And by love bank, it's that sort of internal reservoir of love that is either full or empty in a child. And a child can perceive whether they get a lot of love. If they feel like really loved and their love bank is full, if they feel deprived of it, their love bank is empty. And it was striking to me that Dr. Chapman said that the children, particularly of a certain age, particularly until they get to a certain age, are only aware of their own love banks. And I think what's central to them is, am I being loved by the people around me? More specifically, am I being loved by my parents? And to, up until a certain age, it doesn't even occur to them that you have a love bank that is either full or empty. They're, they're, they're focused on that love bank. I said, what's the point? The point is this. If you don't love unconditionally, and I'll add show love, unconditionally, your child who only is in touch with his own love bank will really feel empty, really feel neglected, really feel unlovable, constantly be doing things to earn your love, constantly be getting things not to just earn your love but to earn your attention. And a lot of those things might not be so, uh, so good. But what's the point? It's important to us to understand that children need love. It's like the oil that, that moves the engine. It's like the fuel in their tank. And just because you love your child and you would do anything for them doesn't mean that that child knows it. Just because you work all sorts of hours of the night because you love that child and you want to have, you know, the, 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 the things and want to be happy. Listen, if you don't show love in the way that that child interprets it, in the way that fills that child's reservoir, their love bank, it's absolutely meaningless. You're wasting your time. And I see over and over parents who are absent from their home hours and hours and hours of the week thinking that they're uh, showing love to their children by working. And all the kid wants is just some time with you. All he wants is to throw out, go out in the yard and throw the baseball. All your little girl wants is for you to sit down at that tiny little table and those tiny little chairs and play tea party with her. That's all she wants. That's all she wants. Love on conditionally. Show love unconditionally in your words, with how you speak, with how you speak, in your deeds, in your actions, in your actions. Not according to what you think showing love means. It means understanding how this kid is wired, how he operates, how he receives love, how, what, what deposits he needs in his love bank or she needs, and in your disposition, in your disposition. Unconditional love. I can remember very clearly, uh, I, I got into trouble a lot. I mean, I wasn't a, I was sort of, I, I got in trouble a lot for just joking around and 
you know, messing with my sisters and sort of being mischievous. I wasn't like bad, I wasn't running the streets getting in trouble, but I often got in trouble. Um, and I would lie a little bit here and there. And I remember very clearly getting in trouble and getting spankings, getting whippings. And my father, no matter how angry I thought he was at me, no matter how harsh the, the spanking was, he would always come back and say, do you know why you got in trouble? He'd let me cry for a little bit and he'd come in and say, you know why you got a whipping? Do you know why you're in trouble? And I would, sometimes I didn't know. And he said, well, you got in trouble because you lied, man, and I can't have you doing that. I love you too much for that. I love you too much for that. And I, got, I, I did that because I loved you. I did that because I love you. So even in the midst of being, having my father being angry with me and being, and being punished, he always made sure that I understood that that was coming from a place of love. And I tell you, that means a lot to me. And I operate the same way with my son. My point is that unconditional love doesn't mean you're just mushy and you're just a pushover and you're just, you know, you got soup for brains as a parent. It means that you work hard to do what it takes to show love unconditionally to that child every single day of their lives. It's not easy to do, but it's necessary. That's if you don't want to mess up your kids if you don't want to mess them up. And I think, uh, I mean, there's many things that we can add to this list, but I think I'm citing today the things that I find to be the most important, the things that I find to be most key. And I think the final one that I want to discuss today is, is if you don't want to mess your kids up, you got to discipline them every day. Discipline them every day. Now, some of you think you punish them every day. No. This speaks to a common misunderstanding of the word discipline. So when we hear discipline, we mean, man, get the ruler out. You know, get that wooden spoon out, or whatever the instrument of choice was as you grew up. We think discipline, yeah, yeah. Don't spare the rod. Deal with it. But discipline doesn't, just punishment is an aspect of discipline. Discipline simply means just the training process. The training process. The training process. Coaches are disciplinists. They're training you in that sport. They're correcting things that are wrong. They're affirming things that are right. They're teaching you techniques, making sure you're doing it right, making sure you have the right sneakers, making sure you're stretching right. This is what This is the whole sort of coaching discipline, and this is what we're expected to be as parents. And if you want to mess your kid up, don't discipline them. Don't train them in the way that you go. Don't walk through life with them as you should walk through life with them. Proverbs 22, verse 6, one of the most uh, misunderstood passages in the Bible says, direct your children onto the right path, and when they are older, they will not leave it. Some more uh, common, uh, uh, common translations is train up a child in the way that they should go, and when they, old, they are older, they won't depart from it. And I always seek to clarify that passage because it's so misunderstood. We, we hear that passage and we think, listen, if I do what I'm supposed to do, my child will never stray from what's right. If I'm just a good parent, if I'm a godly parent, then my kids are set for life. Well, that's not altogether true. And one of the most haunting realities that I have to face is I can be the best parent that I could possibly be, and I still have a 50-50 chance that my kid will be an absolute bum. Well, completely walk away from the faith, completely walk away from common sense, and just, just completely destroy his life. It's, it's, it's a 50-50 shot. It's a 50-50 shot. So you say, Pastor, well, what does this passage mean? What is this wisdom supposed to give us insight to? Well, what this passage talks about is if you raise your child according to the way that they're supposed to go, you will always deposit in them something that they can come back to, should they decide to. And I always cite the parable, the, the story that Jesus tells, tells of the prodigal son. Prodigal son, you know, starts smelling himself and he goes to his dad and says, listen, I want my money now. In other words, I wish you were dead. You're taking too long to die. Can I get my money, please? Father gives him the money. He goes out, and in no time flat, he's spent all of his money. He's made a fool of himself, and now he's hanging out with the pigs. He's a, he's a he's fool. He's flat broke. He's embarrassed. He's a Jewish man working with pigs, which is like, you can't go any lower than that. 
But the scripture says when he came to himself, he realized that his father would take him back. When he came to himself, what did he come to? He came to all that stuff that was deposited in him as he was growing up. And this is what this passage means. If you train a child, you discipline them, you walk along the path of life with them, you instruct them, you coach them in the right ways, you will always deposit something in them that they can come back to should they stray. And if you want your kids to be godly kids, if you want them to be contributing members of this society, if you want them to grow up in in a way that honors the Lord and honors you when you're older, then you will discipline them every single day. So what are the aspects of discipline? I think that the, one of the mo- most important ones is that you walk through life with them. You walk through life with them. You walk through life with them. And it, that's a great word picture because that's exactly what I picture when I, when I think of what, what it means to be a good discipler. I'm walking through life with them. I'm not walking through life in my own world, looking at the flowers and the trees and smelling the roses. I'm walking through life, and I'm instructing them along the way. I'm walking through life. As they experience things, I can offer coaching. I can offer support. I can offer encouragement. I'm walking through them as they learn to interact with friends. I'm walking with them as they interact with different races so I can help structure their worldview on how to deal with other people. I'm walking with them during their dating life. I'm walking with them when they start to get interested in sex. I'm walking with them as they walk into the movies. I'm walking with them as they decide which media they consume. I'm walking through life with them and giving them the benefit of not just my life experience, but I'm more connected to God than they usually are, and I'm walking through life, I'm coaching them through their life as an experienced, connected person to Jesus Christ, and I don't have any faith that our children will make it without that process. I don't have any faith that children will make it apart from somebody walking by themselves, apart from them walking with Jesus. The scripture says a child left to himself will bring his parents to shame. And I tell you, I see this over and over just about every single day. I see it in the high schools when I go and substitute teach. I look at that kid, I said, that kid has been left to himself. That boy has been left to himself. He's not been neglected in the, to the degree that he doesn't have the fanciest gym shoes, the fanciest sneakers, or the nicest hoodie you know, the most modern watch, he's been well taken care of there. But that boy has been left to himself. Somebody or the wrong person has been walking that boy through his life. Because he doesn't understand what no means. He doesn't respond differently when an adult enters the room. This boy has been left to himself. This young lady has been left to himself. I see it in the supermarkets. Kids are throwing tantrums and breaking things off the shelves. I see it over and over in the stores. I see it in the streets. I see it in this gymnasium every Wednesday night when we get 30, 40 kids in this room to play basketball. I see it, and I say, that is a boy who's been left to himself. I kicked the kid out this, uh, this past week. Star on the HF basketball team. Walks in here like he's hot stuff. Doesn't respect, doesn't respect authority. There's only one boss in here. This is not our gym. This is my gym. And he didn't understand that, so he had to go. But I said, this boy has been left to himself. This boy has had his press clippings read to him over and over, and nobody's told him no. Nobody's told him where the edges of life were. Nobody's told him who he should regard and who he should respect. This boy's been left to himself, and it will bring your parents to shame, the Bible says. Somebody hasn't walked through life with this young man. Walking through life. Are you walking through life with your children? Do you intend to walk through life? Do you intend to take a significant interest in who they are and how they become? Are you asking, who are you you hanging out with tonight? I'm just going out. I'll be back tomorrow. No, no, where are you going? Open that backpack. Let me see what's in there. We used to have random backpack checks. My, my parents, we, we didn't know, but we just had random backpack checks. My, my parents, I guess that's the equivalent of going through somebody's cell phone today, <laughs> you know, backpack checks or something like that. But they were very interested in what we were up to. They were walking through life with us. There was a, my father, there was a life lesson around every corner. 
My father would often take me around in the car. We'd be driving down the, uh, the neighborhood that he used to run and be a career criminal in, and he'd point out people, say, you see that guy right there, man? He used to have pockets full of money, a chick on each arm, but look at him now, strung out. See, Gino, this is what happens to you if you don't go to school. This is what happens to you if you get mixed up. Every day was a life lesson. And honestly, I just wanted to turn that part off sometimes, and let's just go, let's go shoot the basketball. But every day was a life lesson. Every day my father and my mother took the time to walk with me through my life. Are you doing that? If you haven't had kids yet, if you're on the edge of having kids, do you purpose in your heart to do that? Walk through life with them, discipline them, disciple them, and coach them. Another aspect of disciplining them each day is that you don't withhold pain from them. I have an asterisk there because it's important. I'm not, I'm not talking about being this tyrant, sort of being this enforcer, right? But when we withhold pain from our uh, children, it's, pain is necessary. Pain is an indication that something's wrong. Pain is an indication that you, you've stepped somewhere that you shouldn't step. If something is internally wrong with you, when you get this pain in your body, it's like, let me, go, let me look into this. Let me check this out. Let me make sure I don't continue before I deal with this thing. And so many parents think they're doing their children a favor by withholding pain from their children. It's so foolish. I understand how they can come to such an erroneous conclusion, but it's not biblical. It won't last. It won't bear fruit. Don't withhold pain. The Bible says those who spare the rod of discipline hate their children. Listen, we talk about unconditional love, right? Those who spare the rod of discipline hate their children. That's a strong statement. I didn't say it. The Lord said it. But those who love their children care enough to discipline them. And we're talking in this aspect, we're talking punish. Impose some punishment. You cross that line, there's some punishment. It's going to fit the crime. It's going to be appropriate to your age. It's going to be appropriate uh, to the decision that you've made. Oh, impose some pain. It pulls in pain. Because what happens? We see it all around us when kids don't have to deal with the consequences of their actions. When they've been protected. When somebody's just said, listen, okay, don't do that anymore. Be nicer next time. He'll grow out of it. Oh, he's so defiant. Look at it. It's so cute. You're raising little monsters. And guess what? Little monsters turn into big monsters. And they produce more little monsters. And you can see how this continues in a bad way. Hold some punishment, man. Hold some opposition to that, to that negative, that sinfulness that they were born with. And I have a rule in my house, and it's sort of internal rule that I use when I'm raising my children that I got from a pastor friend of mine. He said, this, when you encounter your child's will, you better win those battles decisively. In other words, when a child tells you no, they show you their, that you're coming against their will. They're saying, I'm not doing that, or in, in word and action and disposition. You've got to win those battles decisively. I win each and every one of those battles decisively. Why? Because I just want to feel like the big man in my house? Maybe a little bit. But I'm trying to teach these kids where the edges of life are. I'm trying to impose some pain, some punishment, if you will, to show them that that's not acceptable. I've not seen it work without that. It's a part of coaching them through life, part of walking them through life, is sort of walking through life with them, coaching them through life, but it's imposing some punishment, introducing some pain, initiating some pain into their life so that they can be who God has called them to be. Another part of discipling them is don't shield them from pain. Don't shield them from pain. I want to make a distinction there. Sometimes you will have to impose the pain. You will have to impose the punishment. But life gives us its share of pain that if we don't learn how to cope with it, we don't learn how to deal with it, we don't learn how to process disappointment, it's going to really mess you up in life because there's a whole lot of disappointment, a whole lot of pain that's going to come. It's just a part of the human existence. It's just a part of life. And what a great disservice we do to our children when we shield them from pain, when we're like the sort of secret service and we walk through their life and we're just sort of deflecting every ounce of pain, every ounce of discomfort, every ounce of disappointment. 
We've got an excuse to excuse it away. Listen, your children are going to grow up, and even in their young life, they're going to be rejected on the schoolyard. They're not going to be on the in crowd. You've got to help them manage that disappointment. And the way to not do the way <laughs> the wrong way is to say, well, listen, they're just stupid anyway. You don't need them. The world is, will hurt you, you know, and just they, they're, they're idiots. They don't know how awesome you are. It's not helping them process that. See it over and over. Parents deflecting and shielding kids from the consequences of their actions. Kid gets in trouble at school. You know, those teachers up there, they're really, they really don't know what they're doing. He's, he's always, all of his teachers have it out for him. He's really a good, is it all of your kids' teachers are telling you the same thing? It's the teachers? When are you going to figure it out that you need to sit down and have a talk with your boy? When are going to realize that you need to probably take the cell phone? Or probably remove some privileges? Or maybe get the wooden spoon out? When is it going to click in? Don't shield the children from disappointment. It's one of the main ways that a church, it builds resilience in you. You don't have to deal with some pain. You get to deal with disappointment. You get to deal with some loss. You become a resilient person, and you, you are more fit to live the human life, which is wrought with pain and suffering. I see that in my four-year-old and even in my one-year-old. My job is to help them manage disappointment care how old you are. You're not just going to throw a tantrum uninterrupted. Somebody said to me, oh, it's so cruel how you did, you, you, you said that to Joseph and this, that, and that. I said, listen, it's my job to help him to manage disappointment. I tell him all the time, son, it's okay to be sad, but you got to calm down. It's okay to be sad, but don't throw another thing in this house. That's not how we respond to pain. That's not how we respond to disappointment. I know your brother took your toy, but don't you hit him again. That's not how you manage disappointment. Whose job is it to show him other than me? Whose job is it? Because if you don't learn how to manage pain and disappointment and loss when you're one, when you're two, when you're three, when you're four, you're going to be a terrible manager of it when you get 20 and 21. Just ask some of these teachers. Kids don't know how to, how to deal with pain. They don't know how to deal with disappointment. They don't know how to deal with being told no. And part of it, what it means to discipline these boys is, and these girls is to walk through life with them and not shield them from pain and disappointment. A big piece of this is um, understanding how important delayed gratification is. It's, it's absolutely important. And I heard a person say that the, the major dysfunctions or the major uh, bits of pain that we deal with right now are the results of us trying to skip over minor pains in the, in the past. In other words, you didn't say no to all those cupcakes and all those things now. You didn't impose that pain or that, you know, that loss in small doses, and now you have health issues. You didn't save money. You didn't deny yourself. You didn't impose a little bit of pain on the front end, and now you have credit issues. And now your bills are out of control. And now you don't have any money. You didn't deny yourself sexually. You didn't put, impose that little bit of pain. You didn't do that, those minor things along the way. And now you have unwanted pregnancy. So now you have STDs. Or now you have a sexual resume that's embarrassing to you. Part of what it means to raise these kids and help them manage pain and disappointment is to say, listen, short-term pain will, uh, will bear long-term fruit. But if you start skipping over these minor sort of pains, if you start to try to go around those things at this age, you're going to have some major pains, some major dysfunction. And listen, it's my job, it's our job as parents to disciple them, to walk them through this. We're talking about if we don't want messed up kids, particularly if we don't want it to be our fault that they're messed up. It's our job. We're talking about Christian parenting. We're talking about doing the hard things to ensure that something productive and something fruitful comes out of the end. We're talking about how not to mess up your kids. The steps are to give yourself wholly to Christ, square one. 
You don't want to do that? Listen, don't, don't even try. Don't even try. Devote yourself wholly to Christ. Love them unconditional. Love them the way that you've been loved. And lastly, disciple them every day. Not just punish them every day, but walk with them through life. Help them manage their thoughts. Help them manage their pain. Help them manage their disappointment. Be a coach, a godly coach that connects them to Jesus Christ. And as you do that, the connection between them and Christ as they grow will be an easier jump to make. Listen, if we get parenting wrong, we've messed up a lot. We've squandered generations. We've missed opportunities that we'll never get back. But if we say, Lord, listen, I need your help with this. I don't have a clue how to raise this child properly. I didn't come with that sort of training. Lord, I need you. Would you download into me, Lord, the stuff that you're made of? Would you draw me close to you in a way that connects me to you in a significant way so that I can do right by these children so I can raise them according to how you command me to raise them. Will, you, will we commit to doing that? Will we commit to doing that? Will we commit to doing that? I hope so. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the gift of these children, Lord. I'm just so blessed when I look into these, uh, my boys' eyes. I look at them and I see, Lord, how, 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 what, what a clean slate they have. And it's so sobering, Lord, when I consider the fact that I could really mess up that canvas or I can really paint something really beautiful on it. It's such a sobering thought that you've given me that much control over how they turn out and the generations and the generations that will include their family and their friends and their relationship. There's so much at stake here, Lord. And God, we desperately want to get this right. We desperately want to do it your way. So Lord, would you, by the power of the Holy Spirit, would you come and fill us? Would you come and instruct us, Lord? Lord, for those who haven't had children yet but are hoping to have children or are planning a family, Lord, would you just start right now grooming them to be parents, grooming them, Lord, to be people who seek you first, who love deeply and unconditionally, Lord, and people who are willing to walk that out in their life. Lord, we, we know that there are parents who already have children here, Lord, and, and as they look at the landscape of their, their parenthood, they've done things wrong or they're doing things wrong. I pray that by the power of your spirit, Lord, you would come and bring correction. You would come and bring correction. You would come and bring forgiveness for ways that, uh, that, was, that, that stewardship has been mismanaged. You would bring your word. You would bring your truth. You would just correct the things that are broken. You would fix the things that are broken. But we start afresh today, Lord. Would you wipe the slate clean and help us begin anew today? Lord, as we worship you today, would you fill this place with your spirit and would you fix the things that are broken? Well, we call on you. We welcome you today. Come visit with us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.